All right, well, we're glad you're here this morning. Last week, we started a eight-week study of a small passage of the New Testament that is known as the Beatitudes. It's the teaching of Jesus on how to be blessed. Eight very short verses that describe the spiritual journey that leads you to living a life of great blessing. And uh, last week we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. Uh, This week we're going to be talking about the beatitude that just says, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, But before we get into this today, I just want to remind you, uh, because when we read these and take them at face value, sometimes it's easy to misunderstand the point of the Beatitudes. Last week we talked about being poor in spirit and in in our small group uh, we had a lot of discussion about what it means to be poor in spirit. Uh, This week I imagine it'll be the same kind of thing. Jesus said it's blessed if you mourn. Uh, I, I want you to know from the outset of this study we are talking about a spiritual journey. What we're going to find as we study these Beatitudes that being poor in spirit is the beginning point of a spiritual life. It's, it's the fact that when we come to Jesus, we understand that there is nothing that we have in ourselves that can purchase our salvation or can make us good enough to come to the Lord. Uh, and when we talk about mourning today, we're going to be talking about a spiritual state of mourning. We're not talking about mourning because you're sad because your dog died or mourning because you've lost somebody that you love deeply. We're talking about a spiritual condition. And what we're going to find as we go on this journey of spiritual growth together is that they are sequential. Uh, blessed are those Blessed are the poor in spirit is the beginning of spiritual life. So if you've ever come to the point in life where you hit rock bottom and you realize you need Jesus in your life, you got born again, right? You came to Jesus, you prayed, you received forgiveness, you were born again. That was the experience of being poor in spirit. Anybody in the house ever been born again? All right, a few of you. All right, that was the beginning point. And you may have had some of these experiences as you've gone along the way, but these are the keys to living a life of being blessed, according to Jesus. Now, the Beatitudes are at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5, and I would like us to just read together uh, the one that we talked about last week and the one that we are going to be talking about today. So would you just read this out loud to me? This was last week's. Blessed are the poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now this week we're going to talk about verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now you're not reading very loudly. You should probably read this one again. Would you read it? Loudly. Here we go. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's going to happen if you mourn? You're going to be comforted. That's good news, right? It's good news. But... Would you ever say to somebody, you know, I love living for Jesus because I'm in mourning and I'm blessed. Any of you ever said that to a friend of yours? Or have you ever said, you need to come to Jesus because you're going to be sad all the time. You're going to mourn and you're going to be blessed. Okay, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It's just, this is what I've been saying the last couple of weeks. The blessings of Jesus are topsy-turvy. The blessings of Jesus are topsy-turvy. If you're taking notes today, your note cards were on your chairs, you might want to write that down. 
the blessings of Jesus just are the opposite of what our culture says. Last week when we were talking about being poor in spirit, I shared with you that in our culture we have a very high value of self-esteem, right? It's very important in our culture that children believe that they can do anything, that they believe they're good people, that they're smart, that they're beautiful, and and all of these things that, that our culture espouses. Jesus said, you're blessed if you come to the point of you got nothing left. That's when the blessings start. And this week, it's equally as topsy-turvy. Jesus said, you are blessed when you mourn. You're blessed when you mourn. And the end result of that is that you are going to be comforted when you do. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Uh, Last weekend, we had an event here in Bozeman uh, called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And we had six or seven couples from Connect Church that went and participated in that. Chris and I were excited to go. We love to go to any kind of a marriage seminar whenever we have an opportunity. And uh, the presenter is a guy by the name of Mark Gungor. I don't believe I've ever laughed so much in seven hours as I... We laughed for seven hours t- solid. I mean, we just laughed and laughed and laughed. And, uh, and I was thinking back, as I was studying for this message today, I was thinking back to something that Mark Gungor said at this marriage seminar that really helped Chris and I think about some things in our marriage. And I want you just to see a little bit of a, a clip. We've showed this video clip before, but uh, to refresh your memory, let, just take a look at this, this video. We're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains. All right, now men's brains... Are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. We got, we got, we, we got boxes everywhere. And, and the rule is the boxes don't touch. <laughs> When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And and, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. Now, women's brains are very, very different from men's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire. And everything is connected to everything. Money's connected to the car, and the car's connected to your job, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. And it's like... It's like the internet superhighway. Okay? And, and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's just... It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember 
everything. <laughs> because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because quite frankly, we don't care. <laughs> uh, now I want you to remember what he said about remembering events when they're connected to emotion. Will you remember that just for a moment? Okay, just hang on to that. But I want to rewind in that, in that video that we just saw, and I want to talk about the boxes that men have, all right? Any of you married couples, you know this is true about men, right? We, we have those boxes that we have everything just in its own little box, and the boxes never touch, right? And uh, this is helpful for us to understand uh, because sometimes women just don't understand why men don't want to talk about your mother when we're talking about the dog, right? You know, it, it, it's just helpful. But this is also one of the hard things about marriage, right? Because as soon as you get married, guys, you know this is true. If you've ever been married or even in a serious relationship, you know as soon as you enter into that relationship, your wife starts looking in your boxes, right? And it's difficult. It's really difficult when your wife starts poking around in those boxes. And, and we know that, you know, we want to be in a marriage that's full of intimacy. But if you're like me, I've got boxes that have a big sign on them that say private do not touch. Okay? And, and I don't want Chris to look in those boxes. But there's always that moment of crisis if you've been married for any period of time when your wife walks in and one of those boxes is open. And she walks into the room and she says, What? is that because that was a box that we didn't want anybody to ever see and here's the principle that i want you to think about this morning we all have a tendency even if you're a woman we all have a tendency to believe that as long as i'm not hurting anyone with my behavior that my secrets are nobody else's business that's kind of what we believe. Let me say it a different way. We, we kind of tend to think that as long as nobody knows about it, sin is okay. And here's what I want you to get out of my talk today. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. What I want you to know is that sin is not okay. Sin is not okay. Would you turn to your neighbor and look them in the eye and say, sin is not okay. <laughs> sin is not okay. Now look at me and say, sin is not okay. Okay, now I'm going to say that phrase several times today while I'm talking. I'm going to say, sin is not okay. When I say it, I would like you to repeat it back to me because I want us to hear it today. Sin is not okay. Boy, you're getting it down. Practice makes perfect, right? Sin is not okay? Sin is not okay. You're doing great, all right? Now, let me ask you this. We've got a lot of people crammed into this little room this morning, and I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe what you just said back to me? Do you believe that sin is not okay? Or, or somewhere in the back of your mind, do you really believe what I said that at least behaviorally, it seems like we believe that as long as nobody knows about it, sin is okay. Let me ask you this. If you believe that sin is not okay, good, I wasn't even planning on that, but you're right there. 
If you say that it's not okay, do you have habits in your life that you're keeping a secret? Are, are there secrets in your life that you're keeping from your spouse or your children? Do you have secrets from your closest friends? Do you tell half-truths to protect the things in your life that you don't want anybody to know? Do you come to church on a Sunday morning and you put on your game face and pretend like everything's okay because you don't want anybody to know those deep, dark places where you really live? I want you to know this morning, sin is not okay. Sin is not okay. Boy, you're good. But here's our problem. In our culture... We have come to the place where we really don't take sin very seriously. Wouldn't you say that's true? As Americans, we have largely rejected the idea of sin. In our culture, America has pretty much said sin does not exist. We just want it to go away. As Protestants, centuries ago, four or five centuries ago, Protestants rejected the Catholic faith. Because, because the reformers at that time, Martin Luther and John Calvin and the other great reformers, they were bothered by Roman Catholicism's focus on sin and, and, and personal mortification or, or what they called penance. This little drawing here shows some men flagellating themselves, uh, which was common in the Middle Ages and, and, and at the time of the Reformation. Uh, if you've ever read the book The Da Vinci Code or seen the movie The Da Vinci Code, uh, some of those guys would... would would put those, it's called a salise. It was a, a mortification thing they, they'd put on their thigh to make them suffer as a result of sin. And as Protestants, we've rejected that idea because we believe that salvation is not from punishing ourselves, but it's by grace, right? And so we've, we've tried to put away, in some ways, the idea of sin. As evangelicals, I I believe that in some ways we focus on grace so predominantly that we don't any longer have a good understanding of sin. And we're left with this idea that because God forgives sin, it must be okay. But the truth is, if we understand the Bible, if we understand the teaching of Jesus, we know that sin is not okay. It's not okay. It's just not okay. I want to ask my wife to come up and join me if you would. Would you come, Chrissy, please? I didn't warn her, hence the big eyes. She's always afraid when I do something like this. Uh, would you come on up and join me? I... Yes, 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 yes. You're not happy with me, are you? All right, hold, hold my hand. All right, hold my hand. Hold my hand. All right, one of the reasons, and really this is the biggest reason, that sin is not okay is because, like that song we sang earlier today, God is completely above all else. Uh, The Bible says that God is holy, right? The Bible says that God is so holy that he burns everything up with his holiness. And because he's holy, he cannot tolerate the presence of sin. This is why sin is not okay. Sin is not okay. Good job. 
It's because God is holy. Now, if you're a man here today and you're uh, with a woman, your wife, your girlfriend, your mom, whatever it is, okay, if you're a man here, would you do this with me, okay? Would you put your finger in your mouth? (laughs) Come on, guys, all the way in, all the way in, okay? And get it good and wet, all right, guys? Come on, get get it really, really wet. Now, now turn to your girl. Hold my hand. No. Come on, hold my hand. That's really icky. <laughs> That's gross. That's gross. Will you lick it? No. <laughs> now, see, as men, this is what we believe. We don't get it, right? Because she kisses me all the time, right? And so we're swapping spit from time to time, right? I mean, that's what kissing is. But if I've got saliva on my finger, she's not going to come near it, right? Isn't that true? Yes. You don't want to have anything to do with it. You want to smell it? No. <laughs> that's so sick. That's so sick. <laughs> oh, she won't even let me touch her. Not even her sweater. Okay, you can sit down. Okay. <laughs> I do this because it's just a really silly illustration that that my wife will not tolerate my spit. She just won't. And in the same way, listen, God will not tolerate sin. His holiness prevents him from tolerating sin. And yet, like that song we sang, he's above all else, but on his mind, above all else was his love for you and me. And so he sent Jesus as a sacrifice because sin had to be paid for. And he couldn't just overlook sin because his holiness prevented him from overlooking it. And, and, but Jesus paid the penalty so that we could be forgiven. This is the message of the gospel. This is why we sing about forgiveness, why we sing. But it doesn't make, listen to me, The fact that Jesus forgives us does not make our bad behavior okay. It doesn't make it okay. It means we're forgiven. It means we can come to the Lord. But it doesn't give us license to go on sinning. Now, let me me tell you a story from the Bible. And if you've got your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me to the book of Ezra in the Old Testament... Ezra chapter 9, I want us to take a look at a a powerful story of how uh, an Old Testament spiritual leader mourned over sin. A few months ago, I was teaching from the book of Nehemiah. If you were with us, uh, we walked through the whole process of rebuilding the wall and what that all meant. And that was uh, the leader, Nehemiah. He was alive at the same time as Ezra. And the book Ezra and the book Nehemiah go together. And Ezra actually comes before Nehemiah. Ezra was one of the great leaders that brought the people out of Persia and brought them back to Jerusalem to restore them to their homeland. And in Ezra chapter 9, uh, we see some interesting things. They've, the people have come back to Jerusalem. They're getting prepared to begin worshiping the Lord again. And everything seems to go, be going really, really well. And then some people came to Ezra and they told him that the people were polluting themselves. What was happening specifically is the the Jewish men were marrying the women that had come to inhabit Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And these men were 
intermarrying, they were mixing their Jewish blood with Gentile blood, and, and this was off limits for the Jewish people. And there's a reason for that. The reason was because as soon as a man married a woman who was not a worshiper of Yahweh God, inevitably he would begin worshiping her gods. And so God just said, You're, you will not marry these people. It's against the rules. It wasn't because God was trying to create some kind of a super race and, and, and we don't believe that today that mixing races is a sin against God even though some people use Ezra chapter 9 to, to support that theory. That's not the point. The point was God will not tolerate people worshiping other gods. Okay, that's the point. And so the people had been intermarrying. They were, they were falling into idolatry. And, and, and Nehemiah said, worse yet, here's, here's the kicker of all of this. The leaders and the, the officials have led the way in this outrage. Now I want to pick up in verse 3. All right, you can follow along with me if you've got your Bible. Verse 3 says this. Ezra says, when I heard this, I tore my cloak and my shirt And I pulled hair from my head and from my beard and sat down utterly shocked. Now last week when I was teaching, I was using costumes and that kind of stuff. I decided against pulling out my hair and my beard because I'm trying to preserve what little I have left. (laughs) But that's what Ezra did. He sat down utterly shocked. Verse 4 says, Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. And when that sacrifice time came, I stood up from where I had sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and I lifted my hands to the Lord my God and I prayed. Now listen to the prayer. He says this, Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift my face up to you for our sins are piled higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. And that is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. And then if you jump ahead in your Bibles to the first verse of chapter 10, it says this, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people all wept bitterly. Isn't that incredible? The depth of emotion that Ezra had because the people had fallen into sin. You see, Ezra understood that sin is not okay. Ezra got it. In fact, Ezra mourned, I think, when you read what he said and what he prayed. Ezra mourned because he understood the severity of sin. And he understood the consequences that sin would produce. He got it. He understood. Now, Ezra wasn't the only one. Throughout the scriptures, we can find examples of people mourning over sin. And, and I, would, I would group them into two groups of people that I want us to see today. Uh, 
People in the Bible mourned over two things. Here's number one. They mourned over their own sin. They mourned over their own sin. In Psalm 38, I just, I happened to read this in my devotions this week. It was powerful as I was studying for this message and then I came across this psalm. Uh, These are some of the verses that I read this week. David praying, O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. My guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. And then he prays this, Do not abandon me, O God. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Savior. You see, even David, before Jesus ever came, he understood that God was a God who was full of compassion. That God was a God who would forgive and would restore and bring reconciliation. But he was moved by the depth of his sin. He was emotionally moved by the fact that he had failed God. He mourned over his own sin. But in addition, throughout the Bible, we see people mourning other people's sin. And I think this is a healthy thing too. Ezra was one of those people. Ezra hadn't married one of those uh, wicked women who brought in her, her father's gods. And yet his mourning went to the core of who he was. He was mourning for other people's sins. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was just 18 years old when I first went to school. And, and I remember one of the early relationships I had while I was at, at, at Bible college preparing to be a pastor. Uh, I met a guy and, and we became very good friends and, and we would sit around and talk for hours and we'd drink coffee and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But as we were getting to know one another, one of the things I realized was this, this young man, 18 years old just like me, had, uh, had experimented quite a lot sexually as a high schooler. And when we would talk, he would invariably start telling me stories of his sexual exploits in high school. And I can remember going home sometimes, going to my dorm room after we had had some of these conversations and think, I, I don't understand why he brags about his sin. I don't get it. This is a young man. He's in Bible college. He's preparing to be a youth pastor. But it was like he felt really proud of the things that he had done before he really committed his life to Christ. There had been no remorse. There had been no contrition. There had been no sorrow over sin. And, and I found myself really being bothered by that. And that was one of the first times I remember reading the Beatitudes and coming upon this verse that said, blessed are those who mourn. And I literally began mourning his sins in his place. I know people all the time, I hear spiritual leaders from time to time calling Americans to begin mourning the sins of our nation. This is a good thing. This is a healthy thing. Psalm 119, verse 136 says this, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. People do not keep your law. Now, I can imagine some of you may come to me after, after I'm done teaching this morning and you might say, Pastor Russ, the Bible says the law kills. 
And we're under grace. We're not under law. And, 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 and we shouldn't have to mourn anymore because Jesus has put it. We should rejoice. And, we should, and, and you know what I have to say? I, I believe that every word of the scripture is true. And I believe that although Jesus forgives, God is still a holy God. I believe that God still cannot tolerate the presence of sin. And we've got to come to a place of mourning for sin instead of just sticking in it a, in, a, in a box, closing the cover, taping it up, and writing private on the box and putting it in the basement. It's got to change. So let me give you some next steps this morning uh, as we wrap this up today. And let me share with you what mourning over sin looks like. Because I, I really believe this is something that is just completely topsy-turvy. This is not something that comes naturally to us as Americans. But if we want to be blessed, I believe that this is something that's got to become a part of our spiritual experience. So if you want to mourn over your sin, if you want to be blessed in this way, here's step number one. Take inventory. Take inventory. What do I mean by that? I mean, take some time to meditate on your life, on your past, and especially if there's behaviors in your life right now that you know are sin, that they are forbidden by the scriptures, that they're things that you know the Holy Spirit is saying to you, this has got to go, then take some time to think about it and meditate on it. And I would even encourage you to just make a list of the things that you need to repent of and put away out of your life. Take inventory. In other words, you've got to figure out what the problem is before you can really get on with the rest of it, okay? So meditate, take inventory. Secondly, talk about it. The Bible word for this is confess. Those of us that have all these boxes that don't touch one another, men in particular, we have a tendency once something happens, especially if we're ashamed of it, we just put it away. We don't like to talk about it. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive. To forgive us. But if we just ignore the sins, what happens? It just, nothing happens. And the likelihood that we will repeat the behavior is greater. And like I said last year, uh, or, or last week, I'm sorry, uh, the Bible also tells us to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. Confession is a powerful process of, of becoming made more and more like Jesus. So meditate, confess. Here's number three. Feel it. This is where I think sometimes we stop. A lot of times we do okay with taking inventory. We do okay with confessing it. But a lot of times... Especially us men, we're macho Montana men, right? We don't, wanna, we don't have emotions, cowboy up, right? That, that, that's kind of how we live our lives. We don't want to feel. But do you remember what Mark Gungor said in that, in that video I showed you at the beginning? That when an event is connected to emotion, you will never, ever forget it. One of the reasons I believe that we keep repeating our sins over and over and over and over, are you with me? You know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one in the room that does the same things over and over and over. The reason we can't stop is because we haven't mourned. And when we start feeling and experiencing the emotion of mourning over sin, something is going to click in our minds and in our spirits. And the next time the temptation comes, we're going to say, you know what? 
I'm not going there again. It hurts too deeply. It hurts me. It hurts God. Hebrews says, I'm crucifying Jesus again and again and again. Look it up if you don't believe me. And I'm not going there again. It's important that we come to the place that we feel it. That's what it means to mourn. So we're going to feel the effects of the sin. Now there's a few ways that you can do this. And there's some blanks on your note cards. I didn't put all this up on the screen. You can write this down. How do you get the emotion? Because some of us aren't really naturally emotional people. You can spend some time praying about it. And, and just talking to God about it. And the emotion may come during prayer. If praying is difficult for you, you might spend some time writing or journaling. Okay? Uh, I, I think this is really good for people that, that aren't naturally emotional people or, or prayer is difficult. Sometimes it's easier to write out your, your thoughts or your prayers to the Lord. Uh, and, and that's a good way to do it. One of the things that One of the things that Ezra did, the Bible says he fell down before God. Uh, The the word for this is lying, I have to look at my notes, lying prostrate, not laying prostate, that's the different thing. (laughs) Lying prostrate, okay? The Bible says that Ezra, I'm just going to illustrate for you, you can move around if you can't see me, okay? The Bible says that Isaiah, or Ezra, and others in the Bible just laid before God like this. They were face down on the ground. And it was a physical way, it was a physical way of expressing to God that I am wiped out by my sin. Okay? And, and that's one of the ways that you can express mourning over sin is to spend some time praying, laying on your face. It's saying, I can't, do you remember what Ezra said earlier when I was reading to you? I can't even lift up my face to you because I'm so ashamed, okay? Uh, and, and that's a way of expressing this mourning over sin. Um, weeping is a good way to mourn over sin. Not all of us can always conjure up all that emotion. But I, I think a lot of times if you'll take the time to pray and to write and journal, lie prostrate, all these kinds of things, weeping may come. And then the last thing I'd encourage you to do, a, a good part of mourning over sin is to make recompense or to pay back those things that you owe. If you've done something awful to somebody, if you've stolen, pay it back. If you've offended, apologize and, and, and make things right. Uh, make recompense. Pay the penalty for those kinds of things. And now let, let me say this. Why do we need to feel it? Why is this important? It's because if we never allow the seriousness of sin to go to an emotional level, we will probably never be motivated to eliminate sin from our lives. Mourning sin has value because it's going to change the way you live. And then the last thing, number four, is this. Be comforted. I'm not spending a lot of time on this this morning, but the The beatitude says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They will be comforted. And this is what Revelation 21 says. This is so beautiful. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen, Jesus doesn't want you to live in a state of perpetual mourning. He's going to wipe every tear away from your eyes. And this is called hope. That kind of flashed by on the screen too fast. Uh, but, but that's what you can write there in that parentheses on number four, hope. When you mourn, when you say, Jesus, I am wiped out by my sin, this is when we get to the place of hope, knowing that there's comfort and there's compassion and there's love. Do you know that the Father loves you? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that sin is not okay? Do you know that's why Jesus came? He wipes it away. We're going to sing in just a minute, but I, I want you to see the words of these songs. Can you, put up, can you put up the words, Terry, to this song that we're going to sing? To the cross I look and to the cross I cling. Of its suffering I do drink, of its work I do sing. And then this next line is so, uh, so powerful. On the cross, my Savior was bruised and crushed. And he showed that God is love and God is just. You see, when we sin, disqualifies us from ever being in the presence of the Lord. And God's justice demands that sin is paid for. That's why Jesus came. He came and paid the death penalty for sin so that God's justice, his holiness could remain intact, that that God could never be accused of being unjust or unfair or not holy. But he's love. He's both love and he's just. Is that powerful to you? It's powerful to me. I want us to stand together and sing this, can we? And let the truth of this song go deep to a deep.